What is up, Fight Fans? Welcome to episode number 137 of The Neutral Corner. I am your host, Michael Montero from Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Uh, those of you listening to this, the audio version on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you're hearing it, you might notice that the audio sounds a little different. And those of you watching on YouTube, you might see that the video is a little different as well as the audio. That is because our MacBook, we usually record on a Mac. That is in the shop right now, getting an upgrade. Uh, they told us, the people at Apple told us to take 24 hours. That turned into three to five business days. Go figure. So right now I'm just recording this episode into a little lav mic. And I'm going to load it up that way. So the audio is a little off. I apologize for that. It'll be back to normal next week. And we'll be back on schedule with Monday. Right now, this is being recorded and uploaded Tuesday because we had the Labor Day holiday here in the States yesterday. And I was hanging out with family and friends. My little sister is pregnant and her and her fiance had a reveal party to reveal the gender of the baby. It's going to be a boy. So I'm going to be Uncle Mike to a little nephew uh, coming up in the next uh, five, four or five months. So I'm pretty excited about that. Anyway, I hope you guys had a good Labor Day holiday with your friends and family. Uh, all right, guys, real quick before I get into news and notes, I wanted to talk about my fee for this podcast, which I give you guys for free, right? And I do this every week. Even this is a, uh, you know, this is the dog days of summer. The schedule hasn't exactly been packed or loaded recently, yet you're getting this podcast every week on multiple platforms. So I ask you guys for a fee. It is non-monetary. Now, the past couple weeks, I've asked you to go to iTunes and leave a rating. I asked you last week to go to Stitcher and leave a rating and a review. This week, I'm asking you guys to go to SoundCloud. Go to SoundCloud and follow us there. The Neutral Corner Podcast is at soundcloud.com slash Montero Unboxing. That's very easy to find. I want you to go there. And I want you to follow us and like us, okay? Now, if you don't have a SoundCloud account, it's easy. And you don't have to do that much work to sign up. Go to SoundCloud, click on sign up. There's a button where you can click on it. Boom, you go right there. You can sign up. If you already have Facebook, just do it through Facebook. It's very easy. You don't have to create a password and do all this crap. You can sign up through Facebook. If you don't want to do it through Facebook, if you have a Google Plus, so any of you guys that have a Gmail or you have a YouTube, you have Google Plus. You can sign up through Google Plus. If you don't have either of those and you want to sign up through an email and create a password and all that kind of crap, you could do it that way. So three easy ways to sign up. It'll take you 30 seconds. And then you could go and follow us at the Neutral Corner Podcast. So we beefed up the iTunes. We beefed up the Stitcher. Let's beef up the SoundCloud this week, guys. That is my fee for episode 137 of TNC. In the meantime, for those of you who do want to contribute monetarily, please visit us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing. Those of you who are interested in a t-shirt, you want to rock the MOB t-shirt. And by the way, it's not just for the fellas. We have t-shirts for ladies too. If you want MOB on your titties, ladies, email me at MonteroUnboxing at gmail.com. I can't believe I just said that. On that note, let's get into news and notes. 
All right, so let's start off this news and notes this week with a little bit of bad news. Uh, Jermaine Taylor, former middleweight champion of the world, not just middleweight titleist, the legitimate middleweight champion of the world, arrested once again in Arkansas. Apparently, he punched a woman, uh, threatened her with a knife, threatened he was going to kill her. So I guess he's arrested for assault, communicating threats. And it's not the first time he's been in a situation like this. I tweeted about it this week. This is clearly a textbook case of CTE. Now, CTE, we've seen it affect athletes in different ways. Sometimes it just can kill your motor skills. There are guys, like former football players, former fighters, that have CTE where, of course, you've seen the slurred speech. Uh, as I talked about, you know, physical motor skills deteriorating. There are even guys that can't talk anymore, can't move their body anymore, and have to communicate using a computer program where they move their eyes, and it spells out basically a message, and a computer talks. I'm sure you guys have seen uh, documentaries about that kind of stuff. I think HBO's talked about it. So CTE can, can affect guys in many different ways. But one pattern that we have seen with particular cases of CTE is violence. People being violent toward themselves, people being violent toward others. We've seen a lot of former fighters, a lot of former NFL players hurt themselves, take their own lives, hurt others. And that's where Jermaine Taylor is, man. I mean, this guy, his, I call it, heavy tongue. He's had a heavy tongue for a while. You know, the speech hasn't been great, but just look at dude's eyes. He just has this, this, this blackness over his eyes. And I don't mean that in a racial context, so don't even take that trolls and do what you will with it. I'm talking about like an emptiness there. There's just this void. He is a different person now than he was even 10 years ago. And it's so clear that this guy is a case of CTE. I tweeted about it, and uh, actually, me and his, his former promoter, Lou DeBello, we had a little conversation online just talking about different things. Um, you know, for me, I'm like, how can the boxing community help with this guy, with, uh, with Taylor? And it's almost like it's too far gone with him. So how can we use this example to make things better for guys in the future? Because with Taylor, I mean, here's a guy who made millions of dollars and didn't blow all of his money, didn't get raped. The guy's got money. Problem is he's got too many yes men and he fought on way too long and he suffered uh, irrevocable damage. I mean, you, you cannot go back. When you injure the brain and you do certain things to harm it, you can't go back and undo it. It's already done. So... I, I hate to say it, but Jermaine Taylor just might be a lost case. But you look at some other guys. You guys have heard me talk about Adrian Broner plenty. I think that there's some early warning signs right there with him. And there's so many guys in boxing that deal with concussions daily in sparring. You know, even if it's a mild concussion. We talk about football players getting concussed, but boxers get concussed way more often, way more often. And it's just not talked about. It's just considered, ah, this is part of the sport. What can we do to help improve this? And we've talked about 
And I actually talked to Lou about this, you know, about what about a boxer's union? What about a, a federal commission that supersedes all the state commissions and, and kind of uniform, uh, streamlines the processes, you know, for what we do in each state? And he said, you know, that's not really going to help. He has an idea, and I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on this. Doing brain scans on fighters the minute they go pro. And of course, I, you know, cost and all that, we haven't even scratched the surface of how that would be handled. But I'm just saying, in theory, DeBella's talked about doing brain scans the first minute, you know, the, the day a professional fighter gets their pro boxing license. And it going into a federal, not state, federal database. Hey, let's make it a global database where we can take brain scans of the fighter in subsequent years and compare the brain scans and see what has changed. And if you see deterioration, you take that boxer's license. Now, again, these things cost money. And if you take a guy's license while he's still a prospect, he hasn't made any money yet, you know, I, I can see where there's going to be some issues there. And there's people that are going to say it's his life. If he wants to make money, you know, it's his right to do what the hell he wants with his own body. I get it. But this would be a preventative measure to cut down on potential damage. A guy who already has deterioration, you know, to help him not get worse, substantially worse. Maybe a brain, brain scan comparison that, you know, in this hypothetical uh, thing I'm talking about here, maybe that could have saved Jermaine Taylor. Now, maybe he would have never became a millionaire, and maybe uh, he would have retired having only made $100,000 or something, but he would have had his damn life himself. So, I don't know. Curious what you guys think about that, but it's just a sad thing with Jermaine Taylor, and sadly, guys, we haven't seen the last of this. It's not going to end well for the guy. It's just, it's, it's sad. Okay, let's talk about some positive stuff. PBC and Showtime announce a three-year deal. Now, the specifics, at least I haven't seen the specifics yet. And I was away this weekend with family, so I haven't dug into all my, uh, you know, all the press releases and stuff I got over the weekend. I got a billion freaking emails. But the basics I see here, three-year deal, it's basically an extension, right? Because they already had a deal. It's not like it's a new deal or anything like that. And they apparently they're going to do 30 events this year. And they're, they're planning to do more per year as part of this uh, extension. So that's awesome. And if they continue what they've been doing on YouTube, you know, on their social media, picking up some of these foreign cards and showing them, streaming them for free on YouTube. And you see how they do. Uh, they have the prospect series, you know, Showbox. They pick up a lot of things, and sometimes they'll throw undercard fights on Showtime Extreme. I think Showtime is killing it. They have completely surpassed HBO in the fight game. Showtime is now the premium boxing network in the United States. When I'm talking about premium cable, it's not HBO. You're going to make the most money with HBO because you're going to go HBO pay-per-view. So if your ultimate goal is to bank the most cash, HBO is still the place. And they're so desperate now for star talent that, I mean, what do they have on pay-per-view? They have Canelo and Golovkin. Who am I missing? They're trying to get Joshua, but 
that's probably going to DAZN, right? His first fight with Povetkin, uh, the first fight in DAZN, you know, that's where he's going. So um, I don't know, man. I mean, you could try to shoot for HBO, but right now, if you're trying to build a career and you're with the PBC, uh, you're in a good place on Showtime, you know? And, and, and I love that, again, they do things on social media so their young guys coming up can, get, can be seen globally on these social media platforms. They got a good thing going over there. And really the difference right now between HBO and Showtime, the guy running things over at Showtime, he's a boxing fan. The people running the network over at HBO, the programming, the sports programming, all that, not particularly boxing fans, right? So that is the difference. This is a sport where it, it slaps you in the face, it punches you in the face repeatedly, you got to be passionate and love the sport to put up with all the bullshit. So if you don't have people involved at the executive level, I'm not talking about the boxing programming or sports programming only people. I'm talking about the, the suits up at the top at the network executive level. If you don't have somebody there that is a fan, a passionate fan of the sport of boxing, it's going to be hard to get consistent high-level programming at a network. That's just the bottom line. And that's what we see right now with HBO. So uh, PBC and Showtime, three-year deal, good stuff. But again, the whole point of PBC was to have free boxing for all. So how does this affect? Uh, there's you know negotiations going on with Fox. Are they going to announce something with them where you get free boxing? If that's the case and you have Fox and all their platforms involved, and you know there's been a bunch of rumors, but nothing's been announced, at least nothing I've heard, if they have Fox and all the platforms that Fox has and then they have Showtime and all the platforms Showtime has, PBC will be in a good place. So let's see what happens. All right, one last item here. World Boxing Super Series, Season 2. It's Cruiserweights. And they've announced the fighters. Now, a lot of people were a little upset about this and annoyed and thought, ah, oh, man, it could have went with a different division. We already saw the cruiserweights. None of these guys that have been announced can be the number one fighter in a division because we already have a number one, and that's Oleksandr Usyk, who won season one, obviously. Well, here's the silver lining on that dark cloud, guys, because the more I've thought about this, I actually like that they're bringing the cruisers back. For one thing, you built a brand in the first season with cruiserweights. What if they do cruiserweights every damn year in this tournament? I actually kind of like the sound of that. And here's why. Let me, let me get into this a little bit, all right? First, here are, the, here are the first round fights. Number one seed, Marius Bredis. He's fighting a German fighter, Noel Mikelian. I hope I pronounced that right. Number two seed, Junier Dortikos. He's fighting a guy from Poland. I know I'm going to butcher this name. Matthias Masternak. Number three seed, Christoph Glovaki. Remember him? He's fighting a Russian fighter, Maxim Vlasov. You guys have probably seen him before. Number four seed, a Russian fighter, Ruslan Pfeiffer. He's fighting an American, Andrew the Beast Tabiti. Undefeated. Both of those guys undefeated. So, last year, the first season, Oleksandr Usyk, he ends up beating uh, Murat Gassiev, obviously. 
dominates, shuts him out. What fight was before that, before the Garcia fight? He fought Bradis. And they had a great fight, competitive. Obviously, Usyk clearly won it, probably eight rounds to four, somewhere in there. But it was a competitive, good fight. Just the styles, the way the styles worked, it was competitive. And I think based on what we saw in that fight, and then Gassiev, his, his previous fight was against Dortikos. And they had a competitive fight. Dortikos was up halfway through before Gassiev really took over and then stopped him. Based on what we saw right there, I think you could clearly, clearly say, and I don't think anyone would, would yell at you, if you said Marius Bredis is the second best cruiserweight right now. He's the number two guy behind Usyk. He comes into season two here, again, he built a brand in the first season, but he comes into the second season as the favorite. So he's coming in here, and you got Dortikos, who had great fights. Every fight he was in was, was action-packed. Either he drilled someone or he got drilled, but he boxed well. And based on what he did, he's clearly the number four guy in the division behind Usyk, Bredis, and Gassiev. He's the fourth best guy. He's coming into this tournament as one of the favorites. So, and then Golovaki, we've seen him before. Let's say in the finals, in the finals, in the finale of this second season, we get Bradys and Dorticos. Would any of you be upset with that? Would any of you be against that fight? We didn't see that fight in season one. We saw both guys, but we didn't see them fight each other. If it ends up being Brady's Dorticos, that is a fight of the year type of matchup, just based on styles. And, and again, you got a, a brand that they've built up last year. I would love to see that shit, even if we get it in, well, we won't get it in the semifinals because they're the number one and number two seed. So we could end up with a Brady's Dorticos finale, which I think would be amazing, and if it is Bradis who wins that, I'd favor him to win by decision. If he wins that, he's already seen as the number two guy. And it would be great. It would set up a great potential rematch between Usyk and Bradis, the number, the proven number one and number two cruiserweights, the, the season one and season two winners of the World Boxing Super Series, doing a rematch. That is a huge fight at, a year from now in Europe. It might not move the needle here in America, but who gives a shit? Globally, over in Europe, that is a big damn fight. And guess what? If, if Dorticos were to beat Bradys, we didn't get to see Usyk fight Dorticos. If Dorticos at that point wants to fight Usyk, cool. If he wants to do a rematch with Gassiev, if he rebuilds himself over the next year, cool. There's possibilities here, guys. This is not a bad thing. I think this is a good thing. And then you look at the two unknown, undefeated guys. Ruslan Pfeiffer from Russia and Andrew Tabiti from the United States. Maybe one of these guys will show us something. Maybe one of these guys coming up will beat one of the favorites and wind up in the finale. If that happens... Again, you're building a new name and you have a guy for Usyk to fight. So I actually think this was a genius move by the people at World Boxing Super Series. And I think a lot of you guys out there are sleeping on this. I think this is going to be a damn fun tournament. 
it might steal the show. I know the other two tournaments are loaded and are going to be a lot of fun, but I'm telling you guys, don't sleep on this Cruiserweight thing. I like this. It's actually a good idea, and I think it's going to be fun. Also, before we get into the review, I wanted to go over some questions you guys asked of me on, um, on Twitter. I tweeted a couple days ago, get some questions in for TNC, and a few of you did. So, books... Annalise asked, Canelo Triple G2 pay-per-view price is $84.99, correct? And how many buys are you expecting? So yeah, the price is $85, which, you know, it's not as ridiculous as some pay-per-view prices in recent years. I mean, Pacquiao, Mayweather, Mayweather, Pacquiao, that was 100 bucks. That was ridiculous. But this is almost as ridiculous. Here's the difference. This pay-per-view actually has a good undercard. Most of you listening to this are going to stream it illegally. You're going to watch it on somebody's Facebook live feed or something like that. You know who you are. <laughs> Look, I don't blame you one bit, okay? But those of you who are going to buy it or were thinking about it, I think you're going to be fine. It's a good undercard. That co-feature is going to be fun between Lemieux and O'Sullivan. So I think it's worth your money. Um, how many pay-per-view buys am I expecting? Look, I, I don't know. I mean... There's been all the drama with the clombuterol scandal. Has that added to the mystique of the fight? Is that going to lead to more buys? I don't think so. I think, if anything, it's killed some of the buzz and promotion. I think the the horrible decision from Adelaide Bird, the horrible scorecard from Adelaide Bird in the first fight, <clears throat> may have turned people off. At the same time, this is the first big pay-per-view event of the year in fight sports. So this is the biggest event of, of the whole year in boxing or UFC. So I do think that is significant. All in all, man, I think that this is going to be well over a million pay-per-view buys. And in this day and age, that's impressive. Seize Candy asked, do you think Thurman will ever come back? Yes, I do. Apparently, this is the rumor, he's in training right now to have a fight that should be announced soon late this year. Wouldn't surprise me if it gets pushed to early next year, but apparently he's going to come back. And look, there's big fights for him. You know, even if his goal was to have one more big fight and cash out, <clears throat> he's got Errol Spence, he's got Terrence Crawford, he's got the Garcia Porter winner, uh, which, you know, would be a rematch. So there's plenty of options there for him to make seven figure paydays. So he ain't going anywhere anytime soon. He's going to fight on for at least another year or two. But I do think he's halfway out the door. I think marriage changed him. He was changing already before that. I don't see him fighting on past a couple more years, at least not at a, a high level, an elite level. And I do think his first loss, Thurman, his first loss will be by knockout. I think he's going to be stopped. Ignacio Ortiz asks, what do you think of Devin Haney and his matchmaking with that questionable selection of Burgos as his next opponent. So he is referring to Juan Carlos Burgos, the fighter out of Tijuana, who is a tough, grizzled Mexican veteran and has given some prospects in recent years, or even titleists, some, some tough fights, man. And uh, he's won titles or pieces of titles himself. I think he had like the WBC silver title quote-unquote, for a while. I want to say it was at like 130 pounds. So 
it is a good quality experienced opponent for Haney, who's only 19. He turns 20 in November, and he's supposed to fight Burgos next month. Some people think that this is like too much too soon for Haney, who has had some shaky moments or hasn't looked amazing in some of his recent fights. Here's the thing with Haney. Skills pay the bills, baby. Now, Juan Carlos Burgos, I've mentioned before, never been stopped. He went all 12 with Mikey Garcia back in 2014. But again, that was at 130 pounds. Uh, I think he started as a, as a featherweight. So Haney is going to be the naturally bigger, stronger guy. Obviously, he's younger, a little taller, longer reach. And we're going to find out if the kid's for real. I think that his management putting him in a fight like this so soon is uh, indicative of their confidence in him. You know, he only went pro in 2015. He's only been a pro for a few years, and he's already got 19 pro fights. This kid's on the fast track. We're going to see what he's got. I like the matchup. Sometimes you throw a guy in there too soon, and he gets beat up. It's bad for him. But Burgos... It's not a guy that punches really hard. He's not a naturally bigger, stronger guy or anything like that. So I like the matchup. I want to see what Haney's got. And we're going to find out if he's for real in this fight. Watch. If he wins and beats Burgos big, everyone's going to jump on that bandwagon. If he struggles with Burgos, even if he beats him by decision but struggles, everyone's going to call him a hype job. That's just the world of boxing that we live in now, particularly on Twitter. Last question from Cian. He asked, who are the five best boxers you've seen since you started watching boxing? Damn, uh, that is a hard question. If we're talking about best in my lifetime, I was born in 79. I mean, you know, I didn't watch boxing when I was three years old. I'm sure I was in front of a TV with boxing on at that time, but I don't remember so, you know, there's a few great fighters I'd have to leave out of this conversation if we're talking about guys that, you know, since I started watching boxing, you know, because um, look, technically Ali has fought on TV since I was born, but he wasn't Ali anymore. You know what I'm saying? It's hard to pick five, man. I would really have to think about that for a while. The five best. What I'll give you is five guys during my lifetime at their best that I had to see fight every time they fought. May not be the best fighters, but guys who I had to see, man. And off the top of my head, just right now on the spot, that's Arturo Gatti, who we all know wasn't an elite level talent, but was an elite level action fighter in terms of what he brought to us, what he gave us. Manny Pacquiao. Pound for pound, Manny Pacquiao might be the best fighter that, at his peak, I had to see that dude fight. I had to see him. I didn't care who he fought. I had to see him fight. He was special at his best. Another guy, Roy Jones. Roy Jones, at his best, was a freaking monster. Oscar De La Hoya. A lot of you guys know Oscar De La Hoya from when he was at 54 and north of that. You know, the second part of his career when it was all about money and showmanship and all that. Go back to that. His fights as a lightweight. That dude was a killer. He was an absolute monster. 
And if he didn't have some of the demons and uh, issues with drugs and alcohol and stuff like that, man, Oscar could have been even better. He was an animal. Had to watch that dude fight. And then Hearns. Thomas the Hitman Hearns. And, you know, look, Detroit's my hometown. He was a Detroit guy. When he fought, you had to watch. So just off the top of my head, man, those are, those are five guys right there that I just loved watching fight when they were at their best. Win, lose, or draw, no matter who they were fighting, I had to watch. Now, you notice I didn't talk about any of the new guys fighting right now because those careers are still playing out. But if I could give five guys right now, obviously you guys know who are the five best fighters I feel are in the world right now. I mean, number one, it's Vasily Lomachenko, Terrence Crawford. They're one and two, neck and neck. I think Gennady Golovkin's number three. I think Oleksandr Usyk's number four. You probably got to put Mikey Garcia in at number five. And uh, Ter- or not, uh, Errol Spence is kind of nipping at Garcia's heels right there. I think he's at number six. So it, it, as far as guys I got to see fight, any of those six guys I just mentioned, when they fight, I'm watching. So five best overall fighters, like pound for pound since I started watching boxing, bro, I'd have to think about that for, for a while and put together a video or something. That might be a good rant video. If you guys would like to see that in a rant video, let me know. All right, that's it with news and notes. Let, let's get into the review. We have a new TBE to talk about, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, man, I'm getting giddy just thinking about it right now. Last Wednesday, August 29th in Thailand, the new TBE made history. Shyafon Moonsri, aka Wanhang Manyalotin. <laughs> Man, Man, I can't say the damn name. AKA Kayanganda. He has 5,000 different nicknames. Wins a unanimous decision over one of the all time greats, Pedro Tataran from, uh, from the Philippines. And we got a new TBE, ladies, ladies and gentlemen. The best to ever do it. Floyd Mayweather, 50-0. He was the greatest fighter of all time. And now, Shia Fan Moonsri, he is the best. He supersedes Floyd because it's all about numbers, ladies and gentlemen. That's all that matters. Never mind you that the last six opponents' records combined for Moonsri, his last six opponents, you combine their records, they were 97, 60, and 8. One fighter he fought from uh, Indonesia, Jack Amisa, had a record of 21-45-2. That doesn't matter, ladies and gentlemen. All that matters is he had 51 pro fights and didn't lose one of them. Obviously, I'm trolling. Obviously, I'm having fun with this shit. If you're watching this video on YouTube, you see that I'm using uh, different visual graphics this week to troll people. Now, who am I trolling? Am I trolling people that admire Floyd Mayweather uh, for the right reasons? No. Floyd Mayweather was a damn good fighter. And uh, he, he deserves some of the accolades he gets. Many of the accolades he gets. He was a fine defensive technician. And one of the best pot shotters and, and counter punchers we've seen in the modern era. However, I am trolling the people that are not just fans. But some people actually media people, network people that think Floyd Mayweather is the greatest fighter of all time simply because he has an O. People who obsess over O's. People I respect normally who are seemingly intelligent people 
that I talk to, and they know they're boxing. But when it comes to these O's, they lose their damn mind. And they lose their sense of uh, objectivity. Objectivity. And, and looking at things in a factual way. So, right now you have Shayafun Moonsri, who being 51-0, yes, it, nobody's putting this guy on the same stratosphere as Floyd. He's not even the best fighter in his own division, and it's an extraordinarily weak division. It's one of the weaker divisions in boxing right now. No one in their right mind has this guy anywhere near a pound-for-pound pound list or anything like that. But just the actual numbers of it provide an example to show you how numbers can be manipulated and how this shit, having an O, in the end, doesn't mean dick. Moonsri went pro in 2007. He's had an 11-year career. Every single fight has been in Thailand. Every single one of his 51 pro fights spanning more than a decade have been in Thailand. Now, I'll give him this. He's been in the WBC's clean boxing program since its inception because he's had a piece of the WBC title for a while now. But there's other fighters in the division who have titles, including another Thai guy, Thayapun Nayamtrong, alias Knockout CP Freshmart, one of the better nicknames in boxing. He's got the WBA title. He's had it for a while, and he's another Thai guy. Why haven't those guys ever tried to unify? Maybe that fight moves the needle over in Thailand, and that means something, and they can make some money. Why aren't they doing it? Vic Salidar from the Philippines, he has the WBO title, and the IBF is vacant. So, again, I'm trolling, I'm having fun with this, and I'm not the only one. Because basically, guys, yeah, some of Floyd's fans, and it's not just Floyd. Guys, we could take it back to when um, Roy Jones was coming up. And really, I think Roy Jones is when the networks, when HBO started pushing this bullshit. He had that O, and it was such a big deal. And the network, HBO, it, it, it was so shocking when Antonio Tarver beat Roy Jones Jr. Does anybody in their right mind rate Antonio Tarver on the same stratosphere as Roy Jones at their best in terms of pound for pound? I know I sure don't. Roy Jones is just a was a much better fighter. Before steroids, after steroids, yeah, I, I know. There was some artificial things happening there, fine. I, just Glenn Johnson beat Roy Jones. Does anybody it knocked out Roy Jones, like badly knocked him out? Does anybody put Glenn Johnson on the same stratosphere? You know, there, there's only a couple of guys, maybe one guy that, that beat Roy that I would put on the same stratosphere. That's Joe Calzaghe. You know what I'm saying? I think Joe Calzaghe is in the same breathing space as Roy Jones. But some of these other guys that have beat him, it's obvious that Roy at his best, pound for pound, was a much better fighter. So it doesn't matter that the guy has losses. He's still one of the best to ever do it that we've seen in the modern era, right? He was great. Roy Jones was great. So these O's don't mean dick. Stop paying so much attention to them. And by the way, it's not just boxing. Because you go over to MMA and you look at what Ronda Rousey, that entire hype bubble, all that was predicated upon this O. And as soon as that O got popped, that cherry got popped by Holly Holm, 
What happened with Rhonda? She fell apart. Now, in that case, that O getting exposed, we saw the truth there. We saw what was behind that O. It was all hype. It was all bullshit. Right? She had basically had an entire division created for her behind this massive hype machine and the media agenda and everything else. She profited off of it. Now, that's an example where you know, mean meant a lot because it showed how much of a hype job she was. But Evander Holyfield, when he lost his first fight as a heavyweight, and he came back and ended up winning the title again. Lennox Lewis, Vladimir Klitschko. Man, let's take it back to Leonard, Hearns, Duran. These guys lost fights and came back stronger and, and won titles again and proved themselves as greats. Does it matter that these guys lost? Stop putting so much damn stock into O's. They don't mean shit. All right, enough of this. We don't have to talk about Wanhang Manyalotin ever again after, after this week. But we're going to have fun with it this week, all right? Friday, September 1st, Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. It was Golden Boy Promotions on Facebook Watch. And in the main event, Ryan Garcia wins a majority decision over Mexican, uh, now lives in America, Carlos Morales. He struggled late. He was hurt late. He was winded. Uh, Garcia was looking up at the clock at different times, late rounds. Bad body language. Boxing, you can't hide. This isn't a team sport. Everyone's looking at you. You can't hide behind teammates. You can't go sit on the bench and catch your breath while the second string comes in. There's no halftime. There's no helmet to hide your face like in football to where if you're in pain and you're a little winded, you can kind of play it off. You can't do that shit in boxing. Something as is, is, is as simple and as small is looking up at the clock late in a fight to see how much time is left in the round so you can catch your breath and make sure that you can get through the round. Everybody sees that shit. And it is on display for the world. That camera is up in your face. So not only does your opponent see it, and that gives them energy to keep charging and coming at you because they see that you're struggling, but everybody else, because you're on that stage as a performer, sees it too. And it's almost exaggerated. So a lot of people are shitting on Ryan Garcia right now. And even though he won this fight. Now, two judges, Max DeLuca and Edward Hernandez Sr. scored at 98-92. Those are disgusting scorecards. This was a 96-94 fight. And even Garcia admitted that after the fight. He said, look, man, this was a close fight. I think Garcia did enough to win. He did. He built up an early enough lead to where he won. And he did the smart thing. If he was struggling and he was a little buzz late, he ran out the clock. Because he knew he had built up enough of a lead to eke out a close win. This is the type of fight that a prospect needs to build themselves up and get better. And I was just talking about O's. But some of you guys are so obsessive about this shit that you it's even more than like obsessing over a loss. <laughs> You'll obsess over flaws from a guy that he has in, in victories. Like a lot of you guys that hate Golovkin, you find ways to talk shit about his win over Daniel Jacobs. It was still a damn win and he dropped, dude. But a lot of you guys will find ways to shit on it. 
because you just don't like Golovkin. So there's a lot of people who don't like Garcia, and they're shitting on him, even though he's a prospect. He's, what, 20 years old with 16 pro fights? And he struggled a bit in a win against a veteran. I get why some people don't like this kid. He's a prick. He's an arrogant prick. And he posts a bunch of stupid shit on social media. He posts a bunch of videos of him throwing a thousand punches in 30 seconds. Or he'll do stupid interviews on these, you know, trolling YouTube channels saying, uh, you know, that he could mess up Vasily Lomachenko in sparring. Or he would kill Javante Davis. I think this fight proved he's not ready for Javante Davis. He would get drilled in that fight right now. He needs to shut up. He, so, and, and that's one thing I don't understand Like with Golden Boy and some of the management here. They need to get in this kid's ear and shut him up. You saw after the fight that he gave Carlos Morales props. As I said, Morales born in Mexico, but he now lives in the L.A. area. He's been dropped and I think cut several times in fights before. But he's a tough guy who's better than his record suggests. It was good matchmaking by Golden Boy here. A good lesson-learning matchmaking process by Golden Boy. They did a good job here. I think they knew Garcia was going to struggle a bit, but just enough to win. But after this fight, Garcia gave Morales credit. You see that the kid is actually a humble kid. I think a lot of this stuff of him on social media is being pushed by somebody. I don't know if it's coming from the brass at Golden Boy or if it's coming from some people in camp. They're like, hey, man... This shit is getting you attention on ESPN. It's getting you followers on Instagram. Keep doing this, man. They're eating it up. Let the haters hate. The problem is other fighters see that shit too. So I think they need to slow down with all that bullshit and start learning how to box. I've talked about it before. Garcia doesn't move his head very well. He moves his feet and his hands well, but he needs to move his damn head. And more than anything... It's just leaning to, when he shoots a jab, leaning to his right. When he shoots that right hand over, get his head over to the left. Sometimes it's jabbing and rocking back, getting your head back out of range. He's tall enough where he can do that kind of thing. He needs to watch some, some Vladimir Klitschko fights. And he needs to fight a little more like that, honestly. He needs to poke and prod and get his head out of the line so that when there's tangles on the inside... He's in the right position to where he can't get clipped. He can't get caught the way Morales did in this fight. He also needs to work on his damn stamina. And part of the stamina issue here is he loads up on punches so damn much because he's trying to knock everybody out and look pretty. Take some steam off your damn punches, cover up, poke and prod, set your opponent up a little bit, and don't worry about the damn knockout. Don't worry about looking so damn good for Instagram and shit. Take some steam off the punches, Settle down, and the stamina will get better. You're only 20. Your stamina should be better than this. The kid's fighting at, well, this was his first fight at 135. He's obviously going to settle at 140. He's big. He's 5'10". I think he's got a 70-inch reach. He's going to be a 140, right? So, so the power is, is going to start to dissipate. He's got to learn how to box a little bit. He still has a lot of potential. I think he's going to be fine. But people in his camp need to make some damn changes. They need to settle the kid down and chill out with some of the social media bullshit. And I think things will get better. 
All right, guys, there wasn't a lot going on last week. Let's get into the preview of what's coming up this week. Schedule's loaded this Saturday. All right, Saturday, September 8th in Victoria, Australia. There's a card picked up by ESPN Plus. A local fighter, an Aussie, Andrew Maloney, is fighting a Panamanian, Luis Concepcion, at a 115-pound fight, superfly fight. And also on that card, Tim Zhu, Kostya Zhu's son, is in the co-main. So uh, check that out if you got ESPN+. Also over the UK, Birmingham to be exact, Amir Khan is fighting on a Matchroom Sky card. Also there's a rematch for the British middleweight title, Jason Wellborn and Tommy Langford. That should be fun. Sam Eggington is also on the card and other UK prospects like Lewis Ritson and Gamalia Fai. So check that one out. That's on Sky over there in the UK. Here in America, we got a couple cards. Let's start over in California at the Grand Forum in Inglewood. Superfly 3 will be on regular HBO. Remember them? Yeah, they still do boxing sometimes. And this one's being put out by Tom Loeffler with his 360-slash-K2-slash-Triple-G promotions outfit. There was a lot of drama putting this card together. There were visa issues, there were injuries, there were uh, just medical problems with some of the fighters who were originally supposed to be on. So Tom had to work a lot of magic, not to mention all the distractions he had with the Canelo Golovkin situation, the Computerall scandal. The fact that this card even came off is pretty damn impressive. And it's not as good as the other Superfly cards, mainly because of the main event. I think the main event is lacking here. But top to bottom, this is actually a pretty entertaining card. It doesn't have the big main event that the other two Superfly cards had. It doesn't have quite the star power. But there's a, as with the other ones, there's a lot of international talent here. And globally, this is a pretty big card. Okay, so in the main event, Juan Francisco Estrada is fighting Felipe Ayacuta. And that's an all-Mexican fight. Estrada, I've talked about him a million times. He's one of the better little fighters of the last decade one of the better Mex uh, fighters out of Mexico out of the last decade. Urukuta is taller, longer. He's an experienced veteran. He's never been KO'd. The one stoppage, I think, was due to a cut or something like that on his, on his resume. Never been stopped, you know, for, in a fight. He's been on the wrong side of some close decisions. I think he traveled, uh, I want to say it was Argentina, uh, a few years back, and he won a debated decision that many felt he won. So, you know, this is another guy that is better than his record suggests. And all-Mexican matchup, I think that's going to be a fun main event. It's not a significant fight that's going to move the needle in terms of, you know, the implications. But it's going to be fun. Co-main, all-Filipino fight. Dani Nietes is fighting Aston Paliste. Uh, vacant WBO 115-pound title. So this is an opportunity for Nietes to win a title in his fourth weight class. So it is significant, this fight, in that sense. Nietes, this will be his first fight at 115 pounds. He's won titles at 105, 108, 112. And he had the performance of the night at Superfly 2 when he uh, knocked out Revico back in February. So if Nietes wins, grabs a title here, title in his fourth weight class, if Estrada wins, hey, how about Nietes and Estrada in Superfly 4? 
early next year. That makes a lot of sense, and that makes a lot of sense in Los Angeles. Heavy Mexican population, obviously, but also a heavy Filipino population. So that's why I think that this is smartly well done by Tom Loeffler, considering all the drama he had to deal with putting this thing together. I think he did a pretty damn good job. Uh, Poliste is almost a decade younger than Nietes, taller, longer, naturally bigger and stronger, well-traveled. He's, tra he's fought in a few different countries. I want to say he's fought in Macau, America, uh, Mexico. So he's traveled, but overall a weak resume. This guy just hasn't fought anybody at Nietes' level. So we might see Nietes score another big knockout here. He will be punching up at a much younger, stronger guy, though. So maybe this goes rounds. You know, I'm interested in this fight. I think it's going to be fun. I think Donnie Nietes is an underrated, underappreciated fighter. One of the better fighters over the last decade himself. And then we have uh, Kazuto, Kazuto Ioka from Japan fighting McWilliams Arroyo of Puerto Rico. For Arroyo, this will be the first defense of his WBC Silver Superflyway title that he won on the Superfly 2 card. You guys have heard me talk about McWilliams Arroyo a lot on this channel. I think he's another guy who's really underappreciated and underrated. Flies under the radar for a lot of fans, but he had a very good amateur career in Puerto Rico. He was robbed against Amnat Roenroeng in Thailand in 2014. In 2016, he went the distance with Roman Gonzalez, Chocolatito. That's where a lot of you guys saw him for the first time. Good quality fighter, and he should be favored in this fight. For Yoka, this is his first fight outside of Japan. He has one loss. It was back in 2015 to Amnat Roenroeng the former flyweight titleist out of Thailand. He is the nephew of former 108-pound world titleist Hiroki Ioka. So he comes from a boxing family. So again, this card, you know, doesn't have the pop of the first two super flag cards. It doesn't quite have the main event, you know, that, that really moves the needle and gets people talking. But I'll tell you something, man. You've got fighters on here from Japan, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Philippines, and other countries on the undercard. This is a big international card, and you're going to have a lot of international media there. So just because it's little guys and it's quote-unquote foreign guys, people, do not sleep on this card. I think it's going to be fun. Now, East Coast in Brooklyn, Barclays Center, PBC on Showtime. This card, top to bottom, isn't as good, it, do, it doesn't have as many good matchups top to bottom as the Superfly card, but this card has the better main event. It has the main event that moves the needle, right? So Danny Garcia, Sean Porter, fighting in the main event for the vacant WBC welterweight title that used to belong to Keith Thurman, who beat both of these guys already. So... You know, a lot of people are talking about this fight and picking Sean Porter, which honestly surprises me. I've thought about this fight, and I hope I'm not oversimplifying it, but to me, this fight is just so easy to pick. I just think that, I wish I, was, I, wish I had video here where I could show you guys, um, I could demonstrate here with my... Uh, my punching into the camera. <laughs> but uh, Sean Porter, he is more explosive. 
He moves his feet faster. He's more athletic. He might even have faster hand speed than Garcia. He has all those things. But he comes in open. He also punches wide. He, he bends his punches, meaning he doesn't get length out of them. And on the inside, his punches go wide. They don't go straight. He also comes in uh, without angles. He, he kind of lunges in sometimes with his head down. He comes in open instead of closed with his angle. So Garcia, I, I honestly think this is going to just be boxing 101, man. On the outside, Garcia is going to poke and prod with his jab. He's going to let Porter come to him and create gaps and fill gaps. Now, what, I mean, what do I mean by gaps? Well, if you're throwing your punch wide and I see that coming and I can pick off your shot and my gloves are inside of your gloves when I pick that shot off, then guess what I'm doing right after? Boom! I'm tapping you. So I'm catching your shot on the outside. And there's a gap right there. I'm going to fill that gap with my jab. I'm going to fill that gap with a straight right hand. And if it's close on the inside, I ain't going to get as much steam as I'd like on the right hand. But it's going to score. It's going to snap your head back. It's going to make you readjust. And once I open you up with that enough times, you're going to think twice about diving in like that. So I could start picking you off on the outside. And that's when I could start getting a little more mustard on my punches. And there's going to be opportunities for left hooks late in that fight. There's going to be opportunities for counter left hooks and straight right hands late in that fight. And Garcia has enough pop on his punches where I think he's going to do some damage against Porter. Garcia's feet are slow. He moves them slowly. He doesn't even really have fast hands, to be honest with you. But not the most athletic guy. But he knows where to put his feet. Sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, it's not about being the quickest guy in the room. This is what Ryan Garcia needs to learn. It's not about being the most athletic guy. It's about knowing where to put your feet. Knowing how to position your body. Knowing how to create gaps and fill those gaps. And Garcia has forgotten more about that shit than Porter will ever know. So for that reason alone, I just think this is an easy fight to predict. Now, because Porter has the heart of a lion and he is so much more athletic and explosive, he is going to dive in and he's going to, look, if you fight Sean Porter, you're going to eat headbutts. You're going to eat forearms. You're going to eat elbows. You're going to get possibly kneed in the nuts at some point. He's rough. He's tumble. And I think Garcia knows that. And you're going to see him get a little bumped up and bruised and battered. As long as Garcia is in shape and mentally focused and expecting and understanding that he's going to have to go through some of that, I think he's going to be fine. And I think he's going to just pick this dude off and chop him down late. I think it could resemble very much the fight with Kell Brook. Not that Kell Brook and Danny Garcia fight exactly the same because they don't. But... I think that it could be close early on, but class will reveal itself. And that's what I saw. I was ringside when Sean Porter fought Kell Brook. And over the second half of that fight, you just saw class show itself, class reveal itself. And Porter was just outclassed late in that fight by a better fighter. That's what we're going to see Saturday night in Brooklyn. So I like Garcia by decision. It wouldn't surprise me. If Garcia even dropped Porter late in this fight, even if it's just a flash knockdown, wouldn't surprise me at all. But I like Garcia by decision and honestly, fairly decisively. 
it's just like both of these guys lost to Keith Thurman. And I thought that Keith Thurman decisively beat them. He didn't dominate them. They were close fights. And I think Keith let off the gas at different times to, to reserve you know, the gas tank a little bit. He could have stepped on it more and won more decisively. But I thought that you know a lot of people watched Thurman Porter and thought that was a close fight or a draw or, or even Thurman Garcia. To me, those weren't close fights that could have went either way. I thought Thurman clearly beat them. These guys are Keith Thurman leftovers. But I think Garcia is a class ahead of Porter. He just is. And that's what we're going to see in this fight. Also, um, oh, one more thing. People have talked about the layoffs. Uh, Sean Porter hasn't fought since last November when he went 12 rounds with Adrian Granados. It's not as if Garcia has been crazy active himself, though. Yeah, he fought in March. No, I'm sorry, February. He fought in February. But it was against Brandon Rios. He fought a human punching bag. So he basically got in a workout in February. But to me, Porter had the much better opponent in Adrian Granados and the much harder work. So yeah, the layoff hurts Porter to a degree, but it's not as if Garcia fought a killer earlier this year. So I, I don't think the layoff is going to affect either of these guys that much. Uh, the activity level, I mean, um, they don't fight very much. They're PBC guys. So it's going to be sloppy early on. Garcia is going to start slow and that's going to give Porter some opportunities, and he's going to win a couple of the early rounds. And halfway through this fight, it might be even on the cards. But later in the fight, Garcia will reveal his class and win. Also on this card, uh, Jordanius Ugas is fighting Cesar Miguel Barrio Nuevo. It's a, a welterweight fight. And a heavyweight fight, Adam Kovnaki is fighting Charles Martin. I actually, look, <laughs> neither of those guys is an elite-level heavyweight, but I actually think that's going to be a lot of fun. I hope that uh, the Polish fighter comes in in shape, and that could be fun. There's definitely going to be some Polish people in the crowd there in Brooklyn, and they're going to make their presence known for that fight. You guys know I'm partial to the big boys. I think that's actually going to be a sloppy fight, not a lot of craft, but I do think it'll be fun. Also, Amanda Serrano's on that card. That is it for this week of the Neutral Corner. Um, We'll be back on Monday next week. Of course, this Monday was a holiday. I was with family. That's why this episode is getting posted a day late. But we'll be back on regular schedule next week. I'll see you at the fights.